Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister and I'm the host of the Living Better Story podcast. Today I'm with someone really cool who lives uh, probably in the same neighborhood as my best friend, Eric, and that is Robert Strock. Robert is in Santa Monica, California. He's the author of Awareness That Heals. He's also runs two podcasts, The Missing Conversation, which I'm sure we're going to dig more into, and the Awareness That Heals podcast. So Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Great to be here. Uh, apparently, we are live on Facebook now. I'm just starting to play around with the Zoom Facebook connector. So uh, if we say anything that's R-rated, then I don't know who's going to beep us out. <laughs> there you go. I'll do my best. We'll do our best. So I, I like to help our audience get to know who you are by rewinding the tape and going back to your earliest childhood memories. Um, you know, we're unfiltered by the world at that point. And so what do you remember? Where did you grow up? What was your passion? What did you think about when you were a kid? You know, I was always a bit of a stranger in a strange land and was raised in Boston, Massachusetts area. And to me, it was so obvious that it was about loving and being loved. And also at that age and all the way through, it was sort of like death and dying was sort of part of my awareness of like, well, what, what does it mean that we're alive? What does it mean we're going to die? And it was pretty obvious in my original family and outside and watching commercials that I was a bit abnormal, that to, to love and be loved was pretty well contradicted by a very wholesome, caring mother who was a bit, what's the word to use, um, let's say angry at times. And, and so it was like, why are you being angry? And I just remember thinking to myself, what's the point? Aren't we here just to love and connect with each other? And so for me, friendship, loving, being connected was always the reason why we're alive. And, and it was only many years later uh, that I really realized that that was not normal. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, the, the show that I just told you about, The Chosen, at the very beginning when they're rolling credits, they show all these gray fish going around in a circle. And all of a sudden there's a blue one. And then the blue one flips, flips the next blue one. And then finally there's six and then it goes to 13 and then it goes, credits are over. And it, and it really, you're, 
as a blue fish in the pond, you are going against the grain, right? It's yeah. what, what is this? Why, what, what is this about love? I thought you're supposed to be a micromanager and be strict with your children and all that. And yeah. it's like, no, no, the opposite is actually a pretty good approach. to life. Absolutely. And, and it was like tone of voice, for example, hearing an angry tone of voice was so alien to my system. I, it was just sort of a why. You know, why, why wouldn't we just be nicer to each other? Amazing. So thinking through how that ties to what you do today, um, it, it, there must be a really strong connection between then and now. It, it's really uh, actually very simple. You know, when you want to love and be loved to have a career as a therapist and to have a last half of my life be running a foundation, it was just the natural outgrowth of where it was. And I remember, for example, when I would date or, or meet a woman and she would say to me, I don't want you to therapize me. And I, and I, I say to him, no, it was a pre-existing condition. You know, it was <laughs> like, I, I've always been, it's been natural to ask you, how are you doing? And, you know, do you need any support or, or how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? And, <laughs> and how can we take care of what you feel? Sure. Because for me, I, I, as a therapist, I'm more oriented toward guiding to uh, your own best efforts, your own best views and living your own best views. And so feelings are in a secondary role and, and core essential, you know, universal needs like love, compassion, strength were central. And so it's not that feelings are important, but they're clues to what we really need. So that became that end of where I went. And then as the world has been showing signs of global warming and, and falling apart and the class divisions and terrorism and nuclear threats, it's like it became clear that being behind four walls was just a little bit too limiting. Mm. So tell me about where the missing conversation fits into all of this. Well, the missing conversation is really, you know, really what I'm presently involved in. And it's going into themes like homelessness and regenerative agriculture. Um, and we're currently talking to the state officials and, and uh, local mayor's offices and, and trying to combine those two themes of having the unsheltered be trained in regenerative agriculture. A lot of people might not know what that is, but what that really is, is not tilling the soil, which allows carbon from the atmosphere to be pulled down into the soil. And it's part of the Paris Peace Accord. Uh, 198 nations signed on to that. So those two seemed like a marriage uh, made in heaven. Uh, and the, our first podcast is with Gabe Brown, who is consulting for 23 million acres in the United States of converting traditional farming to regenerative agriculture. Wow. Uh, and then we move from there, uh, from that, that theme to psychopolitics, which is sort of the underlying of, of politics, not in a partisan way, but what is it that really uh, keeps us stuck in fighting against each other? And I'm not only talking about current time, I'm talking about throughout history and kind of the realization that no powerful countries have ever really cared significantly about the poor. And so that natural separation that occurs between the rich and the poor is a setup for war, it's a setup of having to have defense uh, departments, it's a, it's a setup for alienation, for terrorism. And so 
the missing conversation really dwells on that. There's also an immigration reform uh, plan that's included in there and a reevaluation of psychology and how it needs to relate to the world as it is in 2021, not adjusting to it, but helping be a part of caring for it. Uh, and also looking at spirituality and how spirituality needs to be grounded in revealing a human being there and not just being settling for beliefs or a vague kind of faith, but grounding it in how do I deal with my own humanness? How do I deal with my own suffering, my own uh, situations that are difficult? How do I use my faith, my trust, my wisdom to be able to care for that inside myself and for the situations that I and others are facing? Wow. I mean, there's so many smart people in the world these days, and there's so much technology that's coming out with AI under the hood that one would think that world hunger and the poor and, 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 and everything you're talking about, we get to the point where you really can start to solve some of those challenges and take them head on. The horribly sad thing, like with homelessness in California, is it's not a matter of things being solvable just because of AI. They've always been solvable. Yeah, right. And the, the issue is that wealth really is a God unto itself. And so because of that, the poor, the poor or the not being given the opportunities to, to be who they are is going to set up a, a conflict with humanity forever. And so, yes, AI is going to make it more easier for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. But I, I, one of my early icons, idols in college was Buckminster Fuller. And Buckminster Fuller had something called World Game where it was looking at the whole world. And if we use the world's resources and our motive was to have everybody have an opportunity to survive and thrive, what would we do? And he figured out 50 years ago that the whole world could be living to the upper middle class of America if they decide to cooperate rather than fight. And then he, he finished it with saying, no one's gonna even start to listen to me for 50 years which is 2020. So, wow. so, yeah. so he, had, he predicted that survival was gonna be threatened in 50 years and that was gonna begin the listening on the part of mankind, but it was utterly solvable then. Yeah, well, I remember going to Paris, speaking of the Paris Accord and seeing tapestries on the wall and the political backstabbing that goes on even in a tapestry from hundreds of years ago you know, they showed this one king who poisoned all his people. And then he was, but he, ma he made it look like he didn't do the poisoning. And, you know, and he's sitting there with a little piece of blood on the end of his finger on this glove. And, and you're like, and they're explaining it through the headphones. And you're like, you mean what? Backstabbing happened even back in thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago? Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's why the emphasis in Awareness That Heals or in the Missing Conversation is how important it is we face our own challenges. Because if we don't, that's exactly what's gonna happen. We don't admit our own anger. We don't admit our ambition to be number one. We don't, we don't admit our competition. We don't, we don't admit our insecurity. If we don't admit these things, it's gonna go into our subconscious and then we're gonna act it out by backstabbing or, or, or by believing that America is the best country in the world by far and end of story, or our party is gonna be the best by far. Right. Well, and that makes me think of you as a person are so complex with all the different thoughts that you have and your mannerisms. And even here's an interesting story you'll appreciate. I went to an arcade with my brother the other day because it was his birthday. 
that was arcade games from the 70s and 80s. And I played Tron and and it was as if it was yesterday. It was so hard coded into my psyche that I knew all the plays and my brother apparently didn't because he was like, what do you, how do you do all this? And so all of those things that are built into our mindsets, uh, you have to be able to go inside and pause the tape and pull it all out, right? And, and understand at a deep level, fundamental level, what's the system that you're playing in your brain? Why are you the way you are before you can do, before you can move forward? So glad you're mentioning that. I mean, there's a sense of, hopefully there's a sense of realizing that we think we are who we're conditioned to be, but actually those are standards that pre-existed probably for thousands of years. And if we don't separate out, what does my own wisdom tell me? Wow. What, 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 how does that fit with getting married at a certain time, having kids in a certain way, um, having ambition for success, being sexy, being young? Versus, is that really what your wisdom tells you? Or is that what society's told you? And are you really thinking for yourself? Are you really pausing as you're saying and asking yourself, what does my wisdom tell me? What's my best self really telling me? What's my relationship to God telling me? What's my relationship to uh, the deepest trust I can imagine telling me? Have you heard of a neurotheologist by the name of Dr. Jim Wilder? No, I haven't. He's here in Colorado. He came to the fire pit maybe three months ago. And I was starting to write a kid's book on making good choices. And in doing some study, I called my mom and asked her. She gave me some good ideas. And then I asked our CRO and a couple other people. Nobody had the same answer. And, I, and so Dr. Wilder, I go, hey, you know, while you're here, let me ask you this question. And he goes, oh, I have a book. I can give it. It's in my car, right? It's on making choices. I'll give you the book. And long and short, he said, to make a choice, in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws that people had to pay attention to. And he said, there was no way to consider all 613. It's like an infinite number of choices when you're looking at between option A and B. There's way more than just A and B. And then he, I said, so how do you do it? Then what's the trick? He goes, well, there's the what would God do? What would Jesus do? Got it. Higher level of thinking. But the one that stuck with me was what if you made a decision based on optimizing for the history of time, for the end of time? Like if, if every decision you make, you do your best to optimize for a hundred million years from now or whatever it is, it makes you play a bigger game and it makes you dig deep and understand what is my unique fingerprint, my God-given talent that's required in the game of life in order to optimize the entire planet Earth and the future of planet Earth. Like that's, that's fun stuff to think about. Yeah, I mean, in my world, which is really saying a very similar thing, it's like, what would you do? How would you be if you were your best self or you were, you were your most wise self? And isn't it fun to contemplate that? And isn't it obvious that everything else is a daydream? Yeah. You know, that, that, that it's not that we should be that way. It's that we get to be that way if we can lessen or eliminate most of the obscurations that we're raised to believe in because to, to be your best self no i think i'll be one step less than my best self you know i think i think that's what i aspire to i haven't ever heard anybody say that or i think i'll be one step better than my best self and and by best i don't mean achieving self i mean wisest i, I mean most yeah you don't have to achieve it doesn't mean driving a ferrari it just yeah. means are you in the lane 
doing and being. I met this woman who won the lottery in the 80s and she was up at a bar in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And me and a friend were skiing together. So we go to this restaurant bar, listen to some live music and she's there standing at the bar. We're like, oh, hey, what's your name? You know, whatever. And she goes, yeah, I'm the owner of the bar. Oh, cool. And she, she confesses that, hey, I won the lottery for $40 million in 1985. And, how, and we're like, how'd that work out for you? She goes, well, it was the best thing and the worst thing that happened to me because I got divorced. All kinds of stuff happened. Everybody asks me for money. And I go, let me guess. She goes, I paid a lot of people a lot of money for, through psychology to be able to deal with that kind of cash. I said, let me guess. You learned to just be in the moment. And she was like, how'd you know? You know, yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. this is a $40 million person who owns a bar and lots of yeah. stuff. Yep, and of course, there are many ways to be in the moment, but to really, to really be in the moment, I think it means not letting conditioning run you and staying in an ongoing inquiry of how can I be my optimal self? How can I be my wisest, best self? How can I take care of myself and everyone else? around me as much as possible, not get grandiose, but do what I really can do, be who I can really be. And that mean, might mean smiling at the, you know, the person that's you know, handing out your food at the supermarket. And it would mean that. And yeah. you know, to, to every little small thing. Every little small thing. So we're putting an app out. That's what I was on the call for a little bit ago called 77 Prey. And it, it, you know, it does sort of put you in the routine. So you do rely on a little bit of the computer pop-up the idea of it is to get you in a habit of asking and connecting, you know, with, with your creator and Hey, God, it's a great day. And just praying that it's going to be a great day. Thank you for your blessings today. And that's it. Right. And then you go through your day. And then by the end of the day, my favorite thing is your will be done. Like, what do you, whatever you need me to do, I'm in the, I'm in the passenger seat you're driving show me the way. And when you get into that routine, it's amazing what, what becomes illuminated. When, when you mentioned that, and that's still happening, I had goose pimple rush. It's like, when you, when you really get to ask that question and, and be in that prayer, it's, it's like, it gives, it, it's, it just gives mm -hmm. right then and there. It just, it gives you energy. It, it, it allows you to feel at home. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the hardest things to get, get across to certain people where it's not that you should do this. It's, it's that you get to do this. This is kind of like allowing yourself to open to the source and then, and then you're, you're given to, and then, and then giving has its natural enjoyment and reward. And of course it's passing it on to others. Yeah. Well, and that's what happens at noon is the pop-up comes up and it says, Hey, have you shared the app with someone yet? And then you can either post to Facebook or LinkedIn, or you just click the button in Google or, or iPhone and it auto fills. Hey, I thought of you recently, Robert, you know, check out this app and it's from me to you personally. So we really think this thing has some serious virality that could go to it, but I've just been following the source. I'm like, okay, how much money you need me to spend on this? Yeah. Okay, God, I'm yeah. going with you. Yeah. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about uh, pretty deep topics so far. This is a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. Um, if I everybody has a challenge in life, 
And obviously if you're doing 70% foundation, 30% work, and you said the 30% work is really all foundation too at the end of the day. So it's a hundred percent foundation. Um, there has to be something that just gave you a slap upside the head or, you know, do you, are you paralyzed? Uh, have you lost a little, <laughs> like what, what happened to you that caused you to, to really go to the level that you're going right now? Yeah. I mean, at one level, I was in this direction before it happened, but then I had a kidney transplant 22 years ago. And it wasn't the kidney transplant, it was the medications that I have to take throughout my life. And for the first six months after I had the kidney transplant, I slept an hour a night for six months. And then, and then the next five years, I slept three and a half hours. And so I was in an endless, uh, let's say, uh, inquiry of how can I, try to be chemically balanced because it was obvious that the transplant medication, my body was receiving as if it was speed. And so I had to chemically balance myself through a lot of experiments. And fortunately it was in my field. And so about five years ago, and it really is somewhat miraculous. Uh, I found a chemistry that really through trial and error through having a root canal and, and using a little bit of painkiller, uh, it allowed me to feel better than I had since before the transplant. And I said, well, what if I use a tiny little dose of that? Hmm. You know, like, like almost, almost like a, uh, you know, just like a small, small sample of it. I wonder if it would do that. And it has now for five years. And, and so I went every, after the first 10 years, I went through 10 years of hell where I was so exhausted. I was so depressed, anxious, and it became clear at that point. The only thing I still had the capacity uh, really to do was to be using my, my will and my wisdom and to be able to be empathic for others in the moment. The moment I was done with them, I crashed. Mm. So I, it was like I was borrowing their body. And so for 10 years, I was completely wiped out. And then I realized, you know what? I'd always evaluated myself based on how do I feel? And then I realized, you know, that's a terrible barometer because I have no capacity to feel good right now, but I can still be wise. I can still be helpful. I can still use my will. It kind of reminded me of Viktor Frankl and, and you know, the work that he did, you know, coming out of the Nazi prison camps and, and being an inspiration for all the people there and using his sort of divine will. Uh, it's not even really sort of, it's really his divine will mm -hmm. and then making a whole psychology based on it. So that allowed me to really develop something that I call friendly mind, which is really friendly mind, friendly wisdom, which is that you don't have to be friendly if you're so wiped out in a trauma or a chemistry or hormonal imbalance or, or DNA issue, but you can still be wise and you can still have your mind be an instrument of wisdom, God, light, whatever you want to call it. And so I was able to guide myself, even though I felt like crap. Uh, and that is a vast understatement only because we're on the air. Uh, but Basically, then the last five years, I've been able to have my mind uh, be an instrument in that way to, to a large extent, and I feel good. So like every day now, there's, there's an immense gratitude because I, not, I wasn't able to feel gratitude because I couldn't feel anything sure. that was positive unless it was somebody Well, else. it makes me think of the mothers out there who have large families of eight, nine kids, which happens occasionally. And so every nine months, they're having the next newborn and they're up all night. 
it i bet the empathy with them with the mothers are uh are is pretty big for you now too right <laughs> absolutely matter of fact i have i have a story of a, of a mother that couldn't go more than two hours but she had the means to get replaced uh and get somebody that was really high quality person to, to help serve her but at the end of it i gave the caveat that there are a lot of mothers that don't have this option and for them they're having to do exactly the same thing so yeah. I, it's right on point huh. wow well, it's funny because I think of if I have a cigar at my fire pit and if I have a glass of scotch, my watch, my Garmin will hit your heartbeat is unusually high. And I know the combination of those two and it's the certain tipping point. I can actually know to your point about chemistry, I know, and it's not usually the first glass of scotch. It's like one and a half, maybe. <laughs> and it's probably one and a third, <laughs> somewhere between the third and the half. And I'm like, I look down, boom, and then beep. And at that point, though, my brain gets into this level of slowing down or something and just being able to see things in such a deep way, right? I'll watch it. I'll watch. I was watching The Chosen the other night at the fire pit on my phone, and, and I just understood to a level that was off the charts. So I think a lot of people run their lives in a certain pattern and they don't take the time and that's where meditation i think can really slow you down help you tap into that and then what's nice is once you've done that for a period of time now you can go back to your normal fast life and actually take inventory of what's going on around you at a at a much deeper level yeah no no question you know meditation gives you the chance to really know what it means to be in the moment and i think that you know one, one of my meditation teachers Used to, used to say uh, to me, you know, play, start off right at the beginning with your, your favorite music song. So you kind of touch your heart while you're meditating. And I, I always like that. And also that meditation can be wherever you are, you know, while you're walking in your car, you can walk in a way that every little step, you feel your, your foot hitting the ground, you feel the muscles. Am I, am I putting my ankle at risk of twisting it? Am I, am I strengthening the muscles I want to strengthen? Am I, if I have a weak part of my body, am I, am I being careful for it? It's like, it, it, it just applies to it all throughout our lives. It or can. At all. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's this, um, Cheryl Lynn is the founder of this new company called Joyly, J-O-Y-E-L-Y. And they brought this thing called the chair of joy that's life-size. It'll like hit the ceiling. It's so big. Uh, maybe not quite, but it's white with gold on the edges. And you sit in it and she stacks joy, basically, and says, think of a moment when you were happy. So it's like, okay, when my son was born, when my daughter was born, when I was married. And, and when you start doing that, the endorphins or whatever it is in your brain, it's just amazing and so her, her goal is to bring that all around the country. They're going to do one at Disney World on September 16th and tell people that, hey, if you just carve out one minute a day, three times a day, you'll, you'll change. People have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day, and you know more than half of them normally are negative. If you can consciously think, well, that sucks. How do I change the color of my river from red to blue, blue to red, yellow to green, whatever, right? Whatever colors it is. Let's just change the thoughts that are in it. Yeah, I mean, I think in order to really implement that, somebody has to be curious enough, curious enough to want to pay attention to what's going on. And if, and if you want to pay attention to what's going on, I think it's very natural and organic that if you put into your experience, 
whether it's joy or peace or trust or love or compassion, any of those repeating for a while, it's like it, it starts to become more like monopoly and it becomes a new way of conditioning yourself to be your wisest, best, most compassionate self. So yeah. I think any, anything we can do to establish new kinds of rhythms, a new Pavlovian response, it's like every, every time I, I go a four letter word, I say, okay, relax and, you know, and think of, think of the most gratitudinous thing that's happened to you and, and then return to the moment and, and how do you implement it? Yeah, that's right. So tell us about the foundation. 70% um, of your life's committed to it. What's it all about? What, what, um, you know, what's your mission? How can people get involved perhaps? Well, it's, it's the Global Bridge Foundation. And we right now currently, our major project is to try to have homelessness scalable by using tiny homes, which cost about $30,000 a unit versus building apartment buildings or buying hotels and motels, which is the main strategy. And then dividing it in a, in a number of different optional ways. Number one is we re rezoning so that allows for zoning to be uh, happening for homeless programs that, that are best for the city or the state so that NIMBY, not in my backyard, doesn't dominate the neighborhoods and the, and the state and the city officials would say, We've, we're going to do all the safety precautions possible. We've decided this is the best location for a homeless community to be able to gather. And we're going to separate out these homeless communities so that they can have the dignity of having a shower and a, and a kitchenette in their own little units for $30,000 rather than $550,000 in California. We're going to have the zoning make it so that it can't be kicked out. And we're going to target different communities that are within the homeless community. So we have vets and we have single women, we have families, we, we have under unemployed, we have people out of jail, we have people that have serious mental illness, we have people that are addicted to various things. And we have specialists that are gonna treat every situation. Um, so that's our main passionate project right now. But on top of that, we're also interacting with about 10 other foundations and a whole bunch of other areas that, that have to do with class imbalance, uh, that have to do with global warming, that have to do with self-sufficiency for people in third world countries. So we're doing all, all of that. We're, wow. we're, we're bringing regenerative agriculture, which you can now do above ground uh, in the cities to schools as well. Hmm. Well, I, a colleague of mine who's on my board, in fact, uh, knows the founder of Tiny Homes and they even bought tinyhomes.com. But then he also knows the founder of printed homes, right? 3D printed homes. And they're both manufactured in different ways, but the intent is to deliver low-cost homes. The last time I bring Paris up again, because I was there two or three years ago with my whole family. And um, I remember driving from the airport to wherever it is we went in the city. And there was a whole series of tents that looked really high quality. And they were in, in rows. And I, I, I even think there was probably a mailbox with multiple mailbox places. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, it didn't look smelly. It looked well-kept for these rows of tents. Now, you know, those aren't even $30,000. Those are, you know, 800 bucks for a tent facility, but very similar concept that, hey, why can't we just face this challenge head on and, and go, go fix it? One of the amazing things 
is, you know, one of the people on my podcast is the founder of what's called the Housing Innovation Collaborative in Los Angeles. They have 75 manufacturers of tiny homes, hmm. 75. Yeah. And it, it ranges from 120 square feet to about 600 square feet and made out of everything you can possibly ima imagine in locations. And they, they take you on a tour through each manufacturing facility to, to show the options. So there's an abundance of ability to go to scale with, with tiny homes. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really cool. And so interesting story you'll appreciate. Robert White is a friend of our family. He's also part of Living a Better Story. He's graduated 1.3 million people from his mindset courses over the last three decades at different companies. And one of the students, they went out and they said, all right, class of 200 people, go meet somebody on the street that you don't know and have a conversation with them. And so one person went out and met Art, who was under a bridge, a homeless person, and brought him back to the class. And Art sat through the rest of the class. And it turned out Art was a cool person because he became the number one head trainer of that entire organization out of 72 different trainers or something like that. And so, you know, when you, when you give people the level of dignity that you're talking about and, you know set up the system correctly, then those kinds of stories can probably come a bit more commonplace. And not that everybody wants, they, they may be very happy with 120 square foot home with dignity. So I, I think that's brilliant. And to your point, it doesn't matter if you're left or right, do you believe in humanity? Uh, if you're a Christian or you believe in God, or whichever God you believe in, you probably want goodness for all people, right? Yeah, yeah, and I love your story because it so demonstrates the biggest uh, prejudice and rationalization about people that are homeless or people that are poor, which is they're lazy, they don't care, they're addicted to drugs. And of course, there's a percentage of that, but there's also a percentage of that in the wealthy. And, and so, so that, that misperception is the ultimate rationalization of why the opportunities are not shared and also the deep root from my vantage point of why civilization and i say that in quotes uh why civilization has been against itself and fighting against itself because it's competing rather than cooperating and rather than seeing the interconnectedness it's seeing the strength in separation and so that illusion of having greater strength by being more separate and having more savings for myself. And again, I'm not against wealth. What I am against is wealth being the answer uh, or being the dominant part of the answer because it's, it's so important. And as we talked about earlier of wealth and significance to be able to be significant with your wealth is such a gift for everyone. Well, the, the, there's more billionaires now and certain multimillionaires and companies are becoming unicorns more than ever. I have to have hope that if there was only one unicorn 10 years ago and now there's 50, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but I read an article the other day and there's a lot. And I, and I know some of them, right? Yeah. Eric Yuan at Zoom Video, I worked with him at WebEx. He's a really nice guy. Henry Schock, who runs Zoom Info, you know, multi-billionaire now. These are people who have a solid head on their shoulders who want to give back. And that's, that's where this thing gets resolved from normal people who want to provide significance 
to their community. The government can't solve these problems is what I've found. But I mean, you could certainly need to do your best to try. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's private, private public partnerships is how this gets resolved, right? Yeah, I, in psychopolitics on the missing conversation, the whole thrust of it is that there, right now there, in my experience, I have more heroes in my life than I've ever had because I've gotten to play in that field. And I think about 10% of the wealthy people are really understanding and living significance now. Mm. And, and, and I don't think it's gonna take a lot more than that to really change the momentum because as they find each other, as we find each other, yes. we, we cooperate, we expand, you know, one plus one equals three. And, and so there really is, there really are a, a lot of heroes that are, are coming out all over the world. And, and in the foundations, let's say just in my little world, um, it's, you know, I have 50 heroes. I would, I would say 30 years ago, I had about five. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, it, there, there really are an incredible amount of people that realize there's no sacrifice in generosity. There's no sacrifice in um yeah, in, in, in fact, in it's ROI. If you really want to do the truth, Absolutely. It, it gives you net positive impact on your family, yourself, every, you know, everything that you do. And your quality of life. Yeah, quality of life. Yeah. Um, wow. So fast forward the tape three, five years from now, you're looking back, you're back on the show. Hey, Robert, great to have you here again. What happened the last three years? Sounds like you've made a huge impact in the world. What do you tell me if we're back on the show three years from now? Well, I, first thing I would say is it, it doesn't even feel like it's really me doing it. It really does feel like I'm being helped and that, it, that almost everything that I'm doing and, and did in that last three years, I waited for a response to be guided. And, and it really isn't esoteric even. It's just it's just practical. I'm just a little bit quiet. I ask a question, like what would be the, the optimal way to handle the situation so it benefits everyone? And then I just wait and then a response happens. I'm, you know, I'm talking to you right now and I'm waiting for your question and then waiting for a response to happen. So I would say that I feel lucky, really lucky. I do feel like I'm good, but I feel like it's much more that I'm fortunate to be raised in a, in a country that's not at war, I, I'm, I'm not having to fight for my survival. I have, I have my basic needs taken care of. So what else would a 70 year old man want to do than this? I mean, I mean, how, how could you not do it? So, so I, would, I would just say that, that I feel like I was lucky, I was grateful and I, and I stayed on course, but I can't take credit for anything because I, I was, I've been given too many opportunities to take credit to not see it's part of an interdependent system. That's good. So personal question, I've just had the signs lately are Africa, Africa, and Africa. Like, hey, you got to help people in Kenya. You got to help people in Uganda. And at the same time, there's this, you know, the the whole America first thing the, over the last little while. Uh, and then, you know, people at home and veterans. And how do you, how do you make a decision? Because you're helping people in the homeland, um, but you're probably also doing things in other countries. How do you make those decisions? Is that just the same thing? You just listen? Well, for sure, it's just listen. And what listening has has brought me to is I started in in third world countries, Africa, India, et cetera, et cetera, and then moved back more home. And then now now I'm I'm I guess you would call it by, 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm out I'm, of the closet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm out of the closet. I, I, it's like whatever way a dollar can be best spent. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, that's what the foundation is like. How do we optimize every dollar? How do we really optimize that? And, and it's like on the effect and the quality of human life. And, and yeah, sure, am I a little bit um, preferring America to get it together, especially now when there's so much uh, struggle, suffering, and danger? Yeah, it's moving a little bit more back because of, of the amount of division that's showing itself up now. But that's part of the thing is you, in the listening, you see, okay, when things were going well, I, I, it was more like, wow, you can get 10 times the benefit in the third world country. Now our country really badly needs it. Yeah, we're, we're in, we've got some deep wounds that need yeah. to be resolved. Uh, Robert, who I told you about, I mean, he's helped 18,000 person companies and, you know, a, a company is like a person. I mean, it is, it is, and a country is, and a city is, and, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And, and you really have to heal and, and nobody seems to be taking that, taking that problem on, right. Yeah, they all yeah. just want to pull the doll from all angles. And it's yeah. not healthy. Yeah, I was part of a, a doll pulling exercise for a few months last year. And I'm like, that's no, I don't want to be part of that. It's all yeah. about love. I mean, like you yeah. said, love and be loved. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we started the foundation about 25 years ago, uh, we started off with microfinance. And we went to India and, and met four of the largest program, actually the four largest programs in India, microfinance. And it, it was like, as we talked about before, one of the program heads was really, I, I, for lack of better words, I hated the guy. I mean, I really, I really disliked him. And he, he was talking about, he went back to America and he looked at Walmart and McDonald's and how do we scale? So what he did was he went to the other microfinance organizations that didn't have his scale. And he just basically said, I can offer the same thing as you for 3% less. And he took advantage of all the people that, that were, were basically, uh, had already done all this work you know, that, that he took advantage of. Three years fast forward, it turned out that it closed down the whole microfinance system because the women were feeling such pressure. There were 30 women, you know, that all work together and they're co-responsible. They were feeling such pressure that there was a suicidality rate that was through the charts. So they froze the whole system and his foundation got closed down. But microfinance was our very first, you know, initiative that we, we really got involved with in investing and, 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 just, and just giving because Foundations can also invest, which is all a beautiful thing called project-related investments, where you can use, I, I think, capitalism the way it should, should be used and naturally would be used, which is how do we use our, our freedom to benefit everyone, not how do we use our freedom to benefit just ourselves or just our family. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, last question, because we've already hit on it a little bit, but you never know the answer that you're going to get. And this one's an important one to me personally. What role does faith play in your life and, and in the journey you've been on? Yeah, when, when I hear faith, I, I immediately hear an innumerable amount of words. I hear, I hear God, I hear, I hear trust, I hear compassion, I hear love. I, I look at Jesus' life as an example. How did he live? Uh, I look at being honest about your own personal issues or challenges you face. Uh, and so have, faith is basically the uh, tuning fork for where the vibration, the frequency of my life wants to live. 
And it, so it's, it really is like a mu musical instrument and a sound that, that has a feel that can give you goosebumps. It can bring you to tears. Can bring you to, it does bring you to joy. And it does bring you to a, a deep sense of fulfillment. Wow. There's a friend of mine, Julie Juju Christopher, who's in Arizona, and she's really a gypsy. And her level of understanding and frequency, and she's died and gone to heaven and came back. And, you know, I was there a month and a half ago. My son came with me and we had a retreat, 12 people. And, she, and almost everybody went to bed because it was like 10 o'clock. And there's Juju, the drummer guy from Atlanta or Florida, and me and one other guy. So four people in the room. And it was if we had a front row concert ticket to Cirque de Soleil in Las Vegas. He's sitting there drumming on the desk. She's playing the guitar and singing songs like you would hear in Barcelona. And I was as if I was in heaven right there because the pitchfork tune. And then I set the room up to match the mood. There were these two horses that were on the mantle. One was black and one was white. And I put them looking at each other. And, and one looked a little angry and one looked a little more peaceful. And it was a yin and a yang kind of an experience. And to your pitchfork sound conversation, it's like for that hour and a half, it was going to be 15 minutes. And it almost closed down three or four times. But it couldn't because the universe was like, no, no, no. This is an open window. Keep it going. You know, and most people don't have the four of 12 had the foresight to understand that such a powerful human being was in our presence to be able to deliver that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I it's mean, there all around you every day. That's what you don't, under, that's what most people don't get to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I think there needs to be that beginning question of how do I open or how do I find peace or some equivalent questioning or some kind of prayer or some kind of meditation to, to really just open the door. And you know, I, that, that statement of, if you go half, God will meet you more than halfway. It, it, it's like that, that is so evident that, that the longing is inside us. It's just a question of whether we can be quiet enough to find it. And just the long, open the, the door connected. and knock on the door. When I did 77 Pray Kickoff, we said, look, if there's 77 people who are signed up for the first rev and we all invite 77 other people, that's 5,929 personal invites. And I'm kind of a math guy and a conversions guy. So 10% conversion, that's 590. So you go 77 to 600, about a 10X. Then the six goes to 10 because you drop 90%. But if we can keep going 10, 10, 10%, I really believe it's going to be one of those, you know, when you're a kid and you send the letter and it says, put your name on the bottom of this sheet and send it around. By then you get a dollar back. Uh, I really think this thing's going to help people knock on the door. Yeah, and it's exactly that kind of um, existential, um, pure prayer that's so contagious. It's like the it's like the same thing as COVID, except in reverse. It's like it's like a it's it's like a, like a totally con contagious wonder and and childlike love um, that's an adult love and a child love put together and. What's really least understood is 
this aspect of there being no sacrifice whatsoever. I mean, there, it, is, it is all a gain of quality of life. And I, I think if people really understood that, of course, who wouldn't want a more of a quality of life if, they, if it was really understood? That's right. And once you figure it out, I think of someone like Kanye West. He seems to have made the tip. And he now envisions a stadium of people, half of them singing metal and half of them singing Kumbaya. But it's like, but we're all together and we're all seeing, we're all blue fish in the blue, blue and gray fish idea from earlier. Yeah, yeah, I have a, I have a, a client on, on, to be unnamed that, that really made a connection with Conway West and, and really experienced him in that unseen way by a lot of people and, and, and really the, the heart and, and, the, and the purity and the longing as being such a deep place inside him. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Well, hey, this is such an amazing conversation. Robert Strzok, thanks for encouraging me to broadcast live on Facebook, because this is the first time I've done that. So you, you've already uh, changed my life forever. And I only <laughs> met you for one one podcast. So. It, it, it's, it's been it's been really a joy. It's been fun. You know, it's, I goose pimples, you know, just arise spontaneously. That's always a good sign. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, God puts people in in the room together for a reason, and it's it's clear that you're going to make an impact. So, as uh, keep keep up on our little app because by the time it gets into the thousands, we'll be able to redirect. You know, our whole goal is to fit, just like you. How do we maximize the dollar return for the glory of God? Is is really what it's about in honor of my grandfather. There you go. There you go. Amen, brother. All right, All Robert right. Strzok. Um, if they want to find your podcast, The Missing Conversation is, is a great one. And Awareness That Heals is your other podcast. And it's on Apple Podcasts. On Apple Podcasts. Excellent. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining the Living a Better Story podcast. What an amazing... I had a headache earlier today, and it's gone now. So thanks to <laughs> talking to Robert. <laughs> All right, everybody. Catch you Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.